0: Welcome back to my podcast, the Stephen Sully Study. We're here in Mayfair, Woodbury House. Got a friend, next podcast guest, Mr. Joseph Valente. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you for giving up your Saturday. I know you just come from a big business meeting and um, I'm very much looking forward to this podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you, Stephen. I've been very very much looking forward to coming on, actually. I know we've taken a little bit of time to set it up and I appreciate you accommodating me on Saturday (laughs) and giving me your time as well, so...
0: So um, i like to ask the guests because my podcast studio is at the gallery. Yeah. And um, I always take the opportunity, if I can, pitch somebody or educate somebody, regardless whether they buy or not, mm-hmm. the natural salesperson in me just kicks in and I have to do it. Yeah. I like doing it. I get a bit of a thrill out of it. But putting that yeah. to one side, <laughs> walking through the Mayfair Gallery, looking at Defer's artwork up on the wall, And getting a bit of history behind us and also the street art movement, what's your thoughts?
1: Um, I was quite inspired. It's not really something that, it's not an environment I've put myself in in the past. You know, I don't go to art galleries. I don't know that much about art. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I do. So you give me the backstory and understanding of how, you know, um, the specific art that you're involved in, street art is created and the three artists that you work with and how, you know, their work becomes valuable in the marketplace. As the natural entrepreneur, the first thing I want to know is how much do you sell it for And how much margin are you making? And then as soon as you say that, you know, piece is 10x or 100x when, you know, certain things happen, that's very, very interesting to me because I'm associating it to the numbers. And of course, you know, the work is fantastic. I think what I need to learn about art is how to appreciate art. Um, and understand art does that make sense yeah how to look at a piece of art and appreciate that art and again it's not something that I'm very educated on or understand but I'm sure you're going to be able to point me in the right direction and also I'm interested in art being a return on investment you know, I know you can buy pieces that um, can seriously grow in value and that's a great way um, to put your great um, investment strategy for your money at times. So I'd love to learn about that stuff as well on another time.
0: Yeah, it's, um, it's a passion asset. Mm-hmm. Watches, classic cars, fine art. It's better than leaving your money in the bank where inflation's killing it and people do buy art to appreciate, to enjoy, to even brag to their friends and family that, yeah. that they've got it. But also, I think the last box that has to be ticked for them when, when purchasing something of £160,000 is, can it make me a good return over the next five or ten yeah. years? Um, and I do I-
1: like what you said. Is about um, that your art gallery is a place where people can feel comfortable and not intimidated. You go into the high end stores in London, whether you've got money or you haven't got money. I've been into those stores when I haven't had money, and I've been into those stores when I've got money, and there is always um, that immediate judgment as whether you can afford to be in there or not. So I'm sure there's many many people that wouldn't ever dare dream step um, um, into a, an art gallery, and so it's great that you create an environment. Where people can feel comfortable. I think that's really great.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. So um, I know you're probably best known for your time and winning The Apprentice in 2015. Um, how did your life change when you won The Apprentice in 2015?
1: Great question. So you can imagine, I grew up in a village. Um, it's a big village, but it's a village. And that's in a city that's in um, you know that's got I don't know maybe a hundred thousand residents, Peterborough. It's not a huge city, right? Um, and then all of a sudden, I was being seen by ten million people a week. It was big views back then, and social media views weren't a thing. So when you're on TV, you're really really known because that's where everybody's attention was. So I was a young guy. I'd come from a small town, and all of a sudden, I was just propelled into this fame in the UK where everybody knew me. Um, I had got a billionaire business partner, probably the most recognized business mogul in the UK and obviously very well known across the globe, um, the biggest be, um, business TV show that's out there, um, and I won it. And, um, you know, it was just insane. The attention, the um, energy, the opportunity, it just blew up. And um, it was one of the um, best periods of my life I got great business attention I got great female attention um, and um, the possibilities were endless and you know a 25 year old guy that wanted fame got it and um, it was very very good
0: how do you plan for fame
1: Great question. And I think it's a dangerous game if you're not careful. It's a very, very dangerous game because there isn't anybody to prepare you for it. And at that time, it's not like I I didn't really have any mentors at that time. And I had a pretty rough teenage years and pretty rough early 20s. And, you know, I was a bit of an outlaw and um it kind of didn't really have a dad there or anyone to guide me through it or make sense of um what was happening and you you can get swallowed up and spat out by something like that if you're not careful see what happens to all these um guys that go on um you know reality tv shows unfortunately there's been many cases where individuals have committed suicide it's so sad and you know to see and watch and maybe that's because of the pressure the um they the financial um commitments they're put under having to keep up with the you know appearance of building a brand must is a real challenge for some people and um then it's not used to the attention and the trolling and the hate we know some people can't take so i think that you've got to get good people around you to keep you grounded and i definitely took off um you know and um and uh I probably touched i hit the ground and then i went up and then i hit the ground and i went up probably a few times along that way and i'm probably still feeling some of that um still now even after all these years it was such a buzz the heart it was such a fucking high the when you go up yeah you know what's coming after yeah you're gonna come crashing down and um when i won it was just like the ultimate it was the fucking ultimate and um then when, I had to, when it all stopped, it was like... Because every week, it was a build-up for like 11 weeks, right? Every week, it was just getting higher and higher and higher. And I was getting more and more famous. And the, I knew what was coming. And then all of a sudden, the show just stops. And then you get attention after that. But the media then starts to stop very, very quickly. And then the realisation was that I had to go back and run a plumbing business. And I was getting um sucked up into all this fame and you know being in london and going to these shows and awards and you know events and all of that type of stuff and that's not realistic that doesn't pay the bills and um you know that's not a a, that's not a, a main a lifestyle that you can maintain you have to get serious about your day job as well so that was very difficult for me i kind of did come back to reality And I think I went on a a mission to find the next buzz um, for many, many years after that.
0: So becoming Lord Alan Sugar's business partner, Mm -hmm. is it a blessing or a curse for Lord Alan Sugar to be your business partner?
1: Okay, is it a blessing or a curse for me? Yeah, okay, good. I mean, it's definitely a blessing. There's nothing that I can say that's a... there's there were challenges but it definitely you i would be the most ungrateful individual if i sit here and said that um um i, I'm, I will crit, i will criticize lord sugar but i have the utmost respect for lord sugar he picked me he chose me he didn't have to right he took a punt on me and um god knows i'm a wild card and i well i was a wild card back then for sure for him and he still went with it so got the utmost respect now I wasn't expecting I didn't get what I expected to get from him but I still got the opportunity which changed my life and I forever got that title so you know, um, We weren't friends. He wasn't friendly. He didn't care about your family. He didn't care about what happened outside of the business meeting. You sat down, you spoke business, you left. There was no hellos, no goodbyes, how's your day been? It was literally the most savage I've ever interacted with somebody up until that point. I didn't know there were people out there that were that tough. And that, ruthless and, and with so little empathy. But you know what? I fucking loved it. Because I don't like to um, small talk in a lot of cases. I like to talk, but I don't like to small talk. And um, I know you know where you stand with a guy like that. There's no bullshit. There's no lying in him and you know where you stand, which I appreciate. I'll tell you a story. Christmas morning, because I won the show on the 23rd of December. Christmas morning on the 25th of December. I got to my mum's. Um, she handed me a glass of Bucks fizz, drank it, yeah, and um, got started to feel a little bit tipsy. So I was like, right, I'm going to email it. So I emailed him, and I said, "Lord Sugar, thank you so much for the opportunity. You've changed my life. I'm, you know, this is going to be the most amazing thing that's ever happened. I won't let you down. Blah 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 blah. No joke. On Christmas morning, I got back. I'm um, something like, don't ever email me um, anything like that again. Only um, respond to me in bullet point format." And that was it. I was like, whoa, on Christmas Day, I went and showed my mum. And she was like, geez, you know, um, now you know who you're dealing with. And so, yeah, um, definitely wasn't a curse. Definitely was a blessing. Had its challenges, but I am a greater man for that experience.
0: Um, part of the reason why I asked you this question is I've, I've been uh, very, very blessed to interview a lot of good people, people like yourself and people in the sports field, etc. cetera. Um, one of the individuals that you definitely know is Mr. Mark Wright. He's been yeah. on he's been on twice now. The second episode isn't actually out yet. Nice. And he recently has just sold his company with yeah. Lord Ellen Sugar for a reported, according to the Sun newspaper, which I can't say they're the most accurate, for, yeah. for ten million pound. And he did say to me mm-hmm and you could probably vouch for this, that what you see on TV is actually how he is. He's very direct and he can be blunt at times, but he's black and white. And the good thing about that is, like you said, your quote, you know exactly where you stand with Mm -hmm. them. With an individual like that, there must have been spats, rows, and big disagreements can you share any disagreements that you had with Alan Chavar? yeah I
1: mean absolutely I was the first apprentice to buy him out so um, you know I, I ended the relationship on my terms I was the first one and um, you know I am a I am a rule breaker I hate authority I was kicked out of school when I was 14 and a half. My dad left when I was 13. I haven't been used to anybody telling me what to do for a very, very, very long time. Then to all of a sudden go into that world where you have a figure that effectively thinks they're in charge of you, you know, Lord Sugar or not, I don't back down either. Um, so, you know, I, um, I, um, I remember going into one of the board meetings and um, before he started, he, was, um, he said, right, can you stop fucking posting on Twitter every single day with these motivational quotes and all of this bullshit? I brought you in as my business partner to run a fucking plumbing company. I didn't bring you in here to spend all your time on social media. Literally screamed in my face like that. And I was like, whoa, listen, you're my business partner. You're not my dad. Please don't um, tell me how I should operate outside of my business. That was one thing. Um, there were other instances where um, you basically get with the investment. You get the money. They they give you the money. Within a week, a quarter of a million landed in my account after the show. They honor that. Um, they do charge you back for all of the services that they apparently give you, the finance, the PR, the, all of that type of stuff, and they, and they charge through the nose for it and start clawing back their investment very quickly. Um, but there was an FD an assistant FD and this junior accountant guy and um, they were Lord Sugar's um, yes men and they were like trying to throw me under the bus at times. It was almost like they were reporting back to him on me. And so in the board meetings, I was like, why are you um, talking to him like you're trying to get me in trouble? Don't bring information to the board meeting that I haven't seen so I can't explain myself to Lord Sugar to try and pull me out. So I would I would go at those guys and then... But uh, do you know what? I fucking absolutely loved it. It was ruthless. It was like this amazing environment that just made me able able to sit around imagine how much that grows you as an individual I mean I had a half a million pound business when I went on that show but I was a plumber running a plumbing company and you know I used to get nervous going into a meeting with an owner of an estate agent or whatever right um so then all of a sudden I'm I'm sat with him and you know one of the things I took away from that was I don't fear any meeting now I can go and present in front of anybody and they won't be as scary as that guy was um and then one day two years on uh, I, I, uh, I'd I spent quite a bit of the money. The business had grown to over a million in, in 12 months. So I doubled in size. Um, I'd learned all the lessons they could give me about financial infrastructure, but they couldn't give me any more. There wasn't <laughs> anything else. And then I was going to board meetings and they say, right, what are we gonna do now? What's our plan? What's our move? Da-da-da-da-da. I said, You're, I'm, I'm, I got into this, not for you to teach me how to do accounts, but for you to guide me on how to build a national business and how to scale and become like you. I want to be like you. I read um, your book and I want to build Amstrad and I want to follow in your footsteps. And I thought we were going to go on to conquer the world together, not be like this business that's just got a little bit of time, how naive I was. And so I said, look, I'm getting sick and tired of coming here every single month and you're asking me for the answers. I haven't got the answers. If I had the answers, I wouldn't have needed you, right? So you're either going to help me or you're not going to help me because at the time, I was pushing to scale faster. Yeah, I want to grow all the time. And they were telling me to slow down. May have been the right advice, yeah? But the reality is it wasn't the advice that I wanted to hear because I didn't believe they wanted me to not grow because of... um, uh playing it safe i believe they didn't want me to grow because they weren't interested in being involved so i said to him i know you i know you don't want me to scale because you think it might be a risk and that business could fail if the uh, and so if you don't want to be if you're not all in and you don't want to grow with me if you're not all in and you don't want to grow with me, then um, let me buy you out and I'll take it alone. And if it fucks up, I'll take the responsibility for it. And you walk away scot-free. So get out now, because I want to grow, yeah? And um, he looked back at me and said, no one's ever spoken to me like that. I respect you for what you said. Come back to you in 48 hours. Came back to me in 48 hours. It was 2017. I'd only been in business with him for two years. And um, he said, we'll do a deal. He did me a very, very good deal. Can't disclose the amount, but it was a good deal and um, I bought back the shares, and then I became the sole owner again, and um, I had about 30 to 40 people working for me around that period, and obviously, it was still quite fresh, only one other, other, win, other winner had won since then, so I was still very much in the limelight with um, that type of stuff, and I had to go back and tell my team and everything else, and you know, I, I um, initiated it, and I remember thinking, jeez, have I done the right thing here? You know, it was a ballsy, brave move to do it. But I wanted the shackles off and I thought, fuck it. I want to go for it. You know, I really want to make it by the time I'm 30. I'm building a a multi-million pound business or I'm going to fail. I ain't here to plod along. And um, that's what I went and did. Yeah.
0: So the company was called Impra Gas. Impra Gas. Yeah. Um, He obviously bought in 50%. Mm -hmm. uh, And then obviously you you hit the ground running and and, and you pushed on. you mentioned Charlie Mullins. Mm-hmm. He's been on my podcast twice. I think he's a great guy, he's a ball of energy. He's, mm-hmm. he's nuts, but he's an inspiring man. Yeah. And um, I'm a bit like you. I've got my sights on becoming a billionaire I do not know how I'm gonna achieve it, but I always say to myself, keep on pushing, pushing with that narrative because even if you don't get to billionaire status and you sell out at 500 million, you've done really, really well. Absolutely. But Charlie Mullins close to 150 million, that's still a very, very good achievement. Mm-hmm. Did you ever believe that Impra Gas could be as big as Pimlico Plumbers?
1: Um, yes, and I believed I could um, dominate them. Absolutely. Why? Because that's who I am, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't do anything. I want to be number one in everything, so I'm going in to fucking win. <laughs> You know, I don't give a fuck who Charlie Mullins is. And I love him and I know him very well. But, you know, back then I didn't know him. But it doesn't matter to me. It's like anyone that's in my way is going to get crushed. I'm going for pure domination. I want to be number one. That's how I operate. That's what turns me on. That's what excites me. I'm not here to take part. Um, and... Um, I remember I took a lot of inspiration from Charlie Mullins. Impra was built on um, the same ethos that Pimlico had. I watched the documentary on Channel Four when I was like 16 um, or 17 of Charlie Mullins and I had this Pimlico bible and they, their brand. And I remember going into Impra when I started the company. I went in to build a brand. I didn't go in to build a service business. I went in and built a brand. I chose Impra because I didn't want to call it JV's Plumbing and Heating because Impra Gas meant national corporation um and um, that could be a big business and um you know i i went in i used to go to meetings in a pinstripe suit with a briefcase and um looking like a investment banker and i'd be walking into your local estate agent to pitch him a service contract or a maintenance contract and i went in and i remember early days they used to look in my eyes and go who the fuck is this guy and it meant that i was Breaking the norm in the industry because everybody else went in as dirty tradesmen. I remember it's what he said: tradesmen go in with the trousers around their backside, dirty, late, you know, unorganised. If you can do the basics right, you will um, blow up. Don't um, invent the wheel. Uh, don't reinvent the wheel. Just modify the wheel. And I followed a lot of his advice and. Impra became a very, very big business. So our national footprint was bigger than Impra, um, Pimlico's. I operated in every major city in the UK. Um, I operated across the country. Pimlico operate in London. So they were, had a bigger turnover and they had more staff and they were much more profitable than I was. But in terms of the size of the footprint, Impra did 6,000 boiler installations across the year, each year, every year. So we were a very, very big business. But his business was a lot better than mine. Um, from a, you know, it took 40 years to build his though. I built a national company in two. Yeah, he did it in 40, you know, so it goes to show that, and he exited with 100 million, and, you know, we'll probably talk about um, what happened to mine, but, um, you know, I did it in two years. And so, you know, he played the very, very long game, did it slow, long term reputation and everything. But you know what, Stephen? I didn't want to be a plumber and I didn't want to run a plumbing company for the rest of my life. I wanted out as fast as possible. I'd had a taste of a different life. Trade is amazing. I love trade. Being in trade saved me. Um, boiler is a great business we train businesses now how to build boiler businesses but they won't make you a billionaire and you have to understand the opportunity vehicle that you're in and if you can see that the opportunity vehicle isn't going to get you there you either get to the end of your life and you're disappointed or you get out of the vehicle and get into one that will take you there before your time runs out we're playing a time game you know we've got a time frame of what we can achieve and if we spend too long in the wrong thing then we're never going to get to the next destination. And uh, my uncle told me, he was one of my early mentors and I remember sitting with him at 23 and uh, my business was doing a couple of hundred grand a year, 300 grand a year. And I said to him, Tim, I'm working like a dog. I'm seven days a week non-stop. I've got a couple of plumbers working for me. But how am I going to get rich from this? How am I going to get there? I can't work any harder. You know, I can scale these numbers, but it's not, going to, it's not going to do it. And he says to me, right, what you don't understand is the game of opportunity vehicles. And this is a journey, right? And your destination, your vehicle is an impra to get where you want to get to. But what you need to know is when to exit, Joe. You need to know when to get out and get into the next one. So you leave your house, you get into the taxi, the taxi takes you to the bus station, the bus takes you to the train station, the train, st- the train takes you to the airport, the airport takes you across the other side of the world. And each one of those vehicles can travel a little bit further and go a longer distance and I mean, a different, carries you in a different way, but you've got to know when to get out your opportunity because if you try trying to take a taxi to Australia, you're going to get to Dover and you're going to fall in the sea. So not every business is designed to take you there. Wow, what a lesson. Uh, it took me eight years to learn that lesson. I wish I learned it um, earlier.
0: It's a powerful, powerful analogy, that. Um, and it's one arm they figure to be using and, and, and re- remember. Good. Um, so I've listened to a few of your interviews before. Yeah. Um, and there's obviously what I saw on TV with The Apprentice. There's obviously what I see on social media. There's the interaction we've got now. You've got this passion. Mm-hmm. I know where it's because you're part Italian or what, but the passion. There's a bit of aggression under there. There's there's confidence. There's this brashness, and I think that can serve a lot of good entrepreneurs, good salespeople, and you can achieve a, a, a lot of things like that. But you did mention something in some of your podcasts, mm-hmm. a bit of being a bit vulnerable. Yeah, which was you need to find stuff, and you can easily get bored because if you don't find that thing to keep on giving you the hit you Mm -hmm. can easily find yourself going into depression and it's a bit of a weird thing to to think that someone like yourself who's very confident Mm -hmm. can ever I could ever think that you could actually fall into depression Mm -hmm. so tell me a bit more about that what do you actually have moments where you feel really depressed
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I do think that I might be bipolar. Um, I've definitely got ADHD. I might have bipolar. Um, I'm just so up and down. Um, If I'm really happy, I'm really happy. If I'm not, I'm really not. And um, and I have to constantly be focused on the next achievement to keep feeding the energy so that I feel like I'm growing. The second that I become um, stale, or I feel like I'm not moving forward, you know, it's not a good place. I go into a dark, dark place. And, um, you know, and, and and it's I'm I'm really good at snapping out of it, but I do go. I'm I'm either really up or I'm really down. I probably don't show the downside, but I feel it inside. I hide it very very well, but I I I, I um I I have to have to feed the fucking beast, you know, and 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 that's what it probably is. It's the beast needs feeding. Um, I listened to Tyson Fury's um. Uh, his first book or his second one I can't remember what it was but it was around the time it was after his um, second match or his first match with Deontay Wilder and um, you know, he'd say that he'd have this real, um, you know, elevated feeling. Then all of a sudden, he'd be in darkness. It didn't no matter what he'd achieved. You know, he'd win the championship, and then all of a sudden, he felt empty, and it felt like nothing. can I have that feeling. You know, and a lot of people have asked me, go and see somebody, go and be count- um, go to a counsellor, go to um, speak to someone. And I never have because I just keep moving forward. And probably I should do because it is, it, it, it is very impactful. But you just get used to managing it. Um, But you know, that emptiness and all of a sudden, you kind of, I really struggle to appreciate the things that I've done for very long. Like The Apprentice, it was like, done it, right, it's done. As soon as it was done, it was over, and I wanted the next thing. And it was like, I've done that now, so what? You know, I'm not going to get hung up on that. What's the next thing? What's the next thing? And I think that's a blessing and a curse, because naturally it drives me to always go for more, because I'm not content for a second, but it also means that I'm constantly living my life in a state of um, just not happy with where I currently am. Um, and that's not good for relationships. It's not good for people around me um, um, a lot of the times. And, you know, it makes me unpredictable, I suppose, in, in some scenarios. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult game. Because when you want such big things, um, if you don't get them, then, you know, it can be damaging. And if, you, um, if you're content, you don't chase the big things. So you can't have it all, right?
0: The... Uh... Two quotes that I pulled from one of your conversations is you said that when you were younger, yeah, you were an angry kid. And then the other one that you said, because I don't know much about this other part of the story, yeah, is you hated your dad. Yeah. How true was that?
1: I mean, I hate to talk about him too much now because he died last year. Um and sorry he sorry died well. uh, thank you. Um and he died um he died. Um, not in the greatest way. He was an alcoholic, his life was really bad. And I hadn't seen him for many, many years and he wasn't living in a great place. And, um, you know, it it was horrible really. But he left when I was 13 and I wanted him to leave. I hated him because he was an alcoholic, he didn't work, he was a horrible person to me most of the time, my sister and my mum, and um, he, he was just, it was just horrendous. You lived in fear a lot of time as we were brought up, you know, you lived in fear. When somebody drinks so much, they're so unpredictable, and um, so you're constantly living in fear. You never know what's going to happen, what is going to be like when you get back from school, and that was every day for years and years and years, and so, you know, that really does take its toll on your family, and i saw how he treated my mum, and i fucking hated him for it and um, i wanted him gone as soon as possible he left at 13 i didn't see him i saw him one or two times and then i didn't see him for years and years and years showed up in my life when i was 28 years of age um, after all the apprentice stuff and everything else never heard from him and um you know uh just like there was nothing there was no cards there was no contact and Um, and showed up in my life at 28. I was doing very well financially and um, he called me out of the blue and he was messaging me on Facebook and all this type of stuff. And um, He was, you know, he needed money effectively and i knew what he wanted and, and i gave it to him at the time he was homeless at the time he was staying in different he was moving for all of the time he wasn't living on the streets but he was moving and moving and i had some houses at the time so i put him into one of my houses and he used to ring me drunk all the time giving me grief and i just ended up making him leave the house and i'm cutting him out of my life again it was very difficult to let him back in and then i had to cut him out again but i my dad had died for me when he left which is a sad thing to say, but he was dead to me when he left. And, um, you know, I, I made peace with that demon all of those years through my teens and through my early 20s. And then when he died, it really impacted my sister because she saw him, but I didn't see him. So, you know, I um, didn't get too emotional about it and I'm not emotional about it now. It's, it's, it is what it is. Um, it, I am really disappointed and really sad that I wasn't a bigger man and I couldn't have gone I went I went to the house where he was living and it wasn't good and you know I do live well and I ha- I have money and I could have looked after him better but I tried to and um, he just chucked it in my face so I felt disappointed in myself I felt disappointed in the fact that I should have gone I never got to make peace and granted he's my dad but I'm now a 33 year old man I'm a bigger man I should have gone and I didn't and now it's too late, then now you know all your demons, every, everything is left unsaid, which is a very, very bitter pill to swallow. It doesn't matter what I say now, I can talk to him in heaven if he's there. Um, and uh, but it does, you know, it's, it's done, isn't it? So you move on, life goes on.
0: So the reference of I, I was an angry kid, yeah. Was that all to do with the scenario with your dad or was you just an angry kid because uh, it
1: was to do with it was to do with him, it was to do with him, because they were surrounded by anger. It was chaos. He was angry, he was aggressive, there was all arguments, it was always like that. It was so I probably took a lot from that and there was major frustration. And then as you get older, you start to fight back. You know, I'm an alpha male and I've got that um I, I, I'm I'm I that started to grow in me. And, um, you know, so you start to get cheeky and you start to fight back and, you know, then it causes loads of conflict. Then when I became an, when I say an angry kid, I was more of an angry teenager, not an angry, I was angry when I was, you know, a younger kid, but not when I was six, seven, you know, but I was just waking up to what the fuck I was living like. But, um, in my teens, my dad left and then my mum found a new partner quite quickly after and he moved in with us and I fucking hated it. It was horrendous. Um, and um, it became very difficult for me then I became very angry hated the world dad was gone new figure in my house that I did not see eye to eye with he's a great guy now and um, I let my kid call him granddad and uh, my son's 18 months and he looks after him and he's great with him and everything else so now I have a lot of respect for him but then I was a lost young man and I was changing so saw the world in a different way so then I became very angry and that's when my life spiraled out of control um, when I was a teenager and for many many years after that
0: mm. um, so being a young man mm-hmm. did you always want to become a success and make money was it something that you sort of grew into
1: uh, absolutely i mean i i clicked on very very early that something wasn't right in my household and one of the big in, uh, reasons was that re- one of the big reasons was because I had a very successful uncle, my mum's brother, my uncle Tim, um, super successful guy. Um, and um, he came from nothing, but he's an entrepreneur and he's worked in corporates and he became very successful, very wealthy and he would come once or twice a year and he would come in this suit. He was a tall guy. He walked in with presents. He had nice cars. But what I was addicted to was that he could buy what he wanted because we couldn't go to McDonald's. We didn't go on holiday. We would, like, didn't do the simplest of things that you would take for granted now. And so he would come and take us to KFC once every six months. And it was like, you know, that for me, I remember just feeling, we could just go and order KFC. What, we haven't got to like, you know... um, Struggle or whatever. And he used to buy us our TV, he bought us our hi-fi system. The reason that we had loads and loads of presents at Christmas in the early years was because of him. Um, you know, I'm careful when I talk about this because I don't want to disrespect my mum because she worked three jobs and she did very well we didn't go without. We weren't really, really broke. Like, you know, we were um in poverty, poverty, but we did really struggle. And I wanted everything I wanted. I was one of those kids that wanted everything that wanted it, and I couldn't understand why I couldn't have it. I want it, so I want it. And that I'm still like that now. And, um, you know, and, and so I wanted it. I wanted the stuff. And I was like, right, well, there's this guy here making loads of money. There's this guy here who drinks three bottles of wine a night and doesn't go to work. Um, I'm going to be like this guy. Yeah, And so I saw that there was a different way that you could operate. There was a different way that you could act. There was a different path in life if I chose to work out how to build wealth. And my mum deserved better. So I started Impra, my first business. One of the big reasons was for her. Because I wanted to change her life and put her into retirement. And when I built that company and went all through the pain that I did, my goal was to put her into retirement and to pay off her mortgage. And I achieved that by the time I was 28. And um, that was one of my big drivers. You know, there's another story to tell about when that why disappears, you get lost again because you lose your purpose. But... Um, I knew very, very early on that I wanted to get rich. I knew very early on that I wanted to change my stars. And I do believe that there are many people out there, council estates, people struggling, and their family and everyone around them are all doing the same things. So they don't get to see somebody that's um, either their blood or um, familiar to them achieve success. So then guess what they do? They make excuses as to why they can't have it. Whereas I had my uncle, if I'd have had my uncle, I probably wouldn't have been inspired. I wouldn't have seen that there was a different life. And I would have said, all those people over the other side there, they were given it. They were given something else. The universe looked after them. They didn't look after me. They all went to private school, blah, 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 blah. You know, All these excuses as to why I couldn't be successful that so many people put up, I was able to overcome because my uncle showed me that there was another path. So Yes, I wanted to be rich.
0: Yeah, so he gave me the inspiration. Yeah. Um. Um. So you didn't actually say these words, but you read Lord Adeline Sugar's book, yeah. which is called "What You See Is What You Get." And I've got to tell you, I've never actually heard of this book. Yeah. Um. It's only when you said it in another interview that I thought to myself, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna get that." And by the way, what a title! I mean, what yeah. a great title that is. Um. Then you end up going on to The Apprentice, Mm -hmm. you end up winning The Apprentice, you end up getting a 250,000 pound investment by Lord Alan Sugar, he became your business partner and then you sort of ran with this business with him for for a few years. Do you believe in the law of attraction?
1: Absolutely. And that was the reason that I won the show because um, my mum got me that book. I hadn't read a book since year five, year four, You know, I probably didn't even read that much then. And um, I just got back from Australia. I was a qualified gas engineer, quit my job at 21, flew out there, sold everything, went and lived my life, travelled around, had a great time, came home. Then it was a couple of months, it was Christmas, I was back in the same job, depressed, unmotivated, didn't know where I was going, got me this book. I picked up the book and literally the first night, I read it till five in the morning. I must have done that much of the book. And it just changed my DNA. Like it literally changed. Lit a fire in me. I felt this change. I can't even describe it. My my whole being just changed, and it was like this new awakening to that it was possible. We said before this um, show, you know, um, that there was you know when you see a see somebody that is actually they're just human. They're not godlike that you put on a pedestal of why they've been successful. When you get to know them or you see their story, it becomes real. And it became real after reading that book. Lord Sugar came from nothing. I felt like I'd come from nothing. And if he could do it, then so could I. That's always been my attitude. If you can do it, then I can do it. And that gave me the permission after two weeks because I read it over two weeks. I couldn't put the book down. I drove the people around me mad because I was just... I'm going to start this business. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a billionaire. That was when all of that started. All of that um, narrative started and it started to become real for me. So I quit my job on the 31st of December, took out a £15,000 loan from Tesco's overnight and started my business in I had no business plan, didn't know about business. You know, I was a plumber and um, this book inspired me to go for it. Fast forward three years. Yeah, I quit my job because of that book. 50 grand a year job. Everyone said I was crazy. They said I didn't know about business. They said I would screw it up. And, um, you know, what would go on when you'd risk all this money taking out a 15 grand loan, like the people around me, that was loads of money to them at the time, you know? And um, it was like, it may as well have been a million quid. And um, three years later, that same billionaire, okay, who's I'd started the business off the back of reading his book, bought half of my company for 250 Gs. Now that isn't coincidence. I used to sit and watch The Apprentice and I would tell everybody that I was going to win. Everyone that I was going to win. I used to vision it. I could see it. I just, it was just, I'd spoke it into reality for so many years and I just knew. I used to tweet Lord Chug all the time, thanks for the meeting, can't wait to see you, can't wait for our next meeting. Just like making up these probably a bit weird and stalkerish now, thinking back about it. And when I won, they started, they went back to 2013 and were publishing all of these tweets of me just randomly tweeting him saying thanks for the meeting and stuff, which never happened. And they said a story came out was was the apprentice winner picked many many years before and I'd never met the guy all these years before but I was just putting it out into the universe and eventually it returned. And the day I applied was 2015, 9th of January came into my um, kitchen nine o'clock I'd had a really shit day my business stood half a million a year I had seven plumbers working for me I was working night and day hit my ceiling didn't know what to do next I was demotivated unmotivated And then Lloyd Sugar's page came up on Facebook. Final call to um, apply for The Apprentice. And I shit you not, at that moment, I looked up, and I knew the universe had sent me the sign. That was for me. And at that very moment, I believed already, whether people think I'm, I'm crazy or not, I believed already I'd won the show because that was my moment. I believe that passionately about the universe that I believe it sent me that sign. And it said to me, "Feel that fucking form in, Joe. This is your opportunity.
0: <laughs> That's powerful, mate. Look. Business, uh, there's obviously the stuff that we see on social media, mm-hmm. documentaries, films, which is all the glitz, glamour, the mm-hmm. money, the private jets, the mm-hmm. lovely watches, the nice women, the everything. You know, this yep. is the dream. That's what everybody goes after. Okay, mm-hmm. but people don't realize until you start your own business the sacrifice yep. and the emotional roller coaster. Yep. And I know you touched on that. We're going to speak about what happened to the gas company, mm-hmm. Impra. Mm-hmm. I've got an article here from The Express, OK? And I feel a bit weird sometimes referencing different media outlets because media have a way of mm-hmm. portraying the narrative rather than the truth all the time. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to say that before I, I quote it because they're, they're here with it with this narrative, yeah? So this is 2022, February the 11th. The Apprentice winner who lost it all and uh, started from zero, his business now is worth three million, and mm-hmm. it goes on to quote this is what apparently you said. It hit me very hard. I was very depressed for a couple of months, and one day I woke up and I thought to myself, "There is no way i 'm going to let this just destroy me they mm-hmm. 're talking about when impro gas was sold off to VBH assets, mm-hmm. but then liquidated a couple of months later for one point. Mm-hmm. Po- uh, 1.9 million, sorry, liquidated, but 1.9 million pounds owned to creditors. Yeah. Can you explain exactly what happened in that scenario?
1: Absolutely. So that first article is talking about two years after basically me effectively selling part of my previous business and shutting down part of my previous business. So to give more context, I'll go back a little bit. So 2017, I bought Lord Sugar out. We were doing a million a year. I then decided that I was going to go national and I was going to do it as fast as I could. Fast forward two years later, I'd built a national business. I had 100 staff. We were doing a million a month in direct sales. We operated in every major city in the UK. September 2019, I'd just won National Installer of the Year beating British Gas and all the top players, but I had never grown a national business before. First time, first business, right? And in seven seven years ago, 22, I was a one man in a van. 29, I was a CEO of the largest independent boiler installation company in the UK. And um, I'd grown very quickly. I had used every form of cash flow I could to get there. I hadn't got any further investment after Lord Sugar's 250 grand. That was it. And I built a national company on that and I maximized every penny to scale. Now, it was a direct sales organization so it meant that the sales fed the engine that fed the profit that fed the cash flow and we expanded now in a direct sales business if you have a good month you have a good month if you have a bad month you have a horrendous month if you don't have recurring revenue okay and you haven't got a huge war chest of cash Okay, then, you know, and you lose a lot of sales, it can significantly drain your cash. Now, I'd used all of our cash to build a national business. 2019, November-ish time, Brexit was big. It was happening. Um, we had a warm winter. And I had a 35-man national sales um, force. I was, uh, my break-even was about 60,000 a day in new business. Okay. And um, I'd overexpanded in, I would say I overexpanded into new towns that we just hadn't, um learn enough about and had everything set up so i'd put all the money into the back office and resources but the direct sales took a massive hit and so our forecasted revenues um fell by something like 40 percent. and 40 percent of a million 400 grand you have that done a few times then that really drains the cash flow so basically um, I w- I'd, I'd used all of our cash to get there. And then I had consecutively bad sales months um, with huge overheads that I couldn't cut fast enough based on the amount of sales that we had because I'd built all the infrastructure. Um, and I came to a point at the end of Dece- um, beginning of December and I said, this business is going to go down. I, 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 the say, I thought we were going to make the sales. I thought we were going to achieve it. I had my finance team wrapped around me. We were meeting every day. It looked like we were going to make it through and the sales just got worse. Um, and it, we'd never seen anything like it because up until this point, the sales had just keep growing and kept growing and kept growing because I wouldn't have got national if I hadn't. We'd gone from doing a million a year to you know a million a quarter, then to a million a month. And so we just feel like everything we were doing was turning to gold. You know we touch worked and then all of a sudden it didn't and i was i was not prepared for that to happen Um, and so i knew in the beginning of december that we were gonna this was gonna go down the sales weren't um, picking back up and um, i had very little time to um, find investors i had very little time um, to um, plan and strategize we were running out of cash so fast i had so many people employed so much cost um, you know, it was very, very difficult. It was, it was actually hell on earth, um, you know, and, and, I, and I just couldn't believe it was even happening to me because I didn't do anything wrong, you know, and a lot of people said a lot of bad things about me after that business went down as if I'd stolen the money or something or I'd run off into the sunset and, you know, i I'd taken millions and millions from all these creditors that were owed money when your business unliquidates, um, you're investigated by the insolvency service. So they go for all of your books, they go for all of your finances, and they check everything. Well, um, I passed that process and I wasn't expelled as a director. So there was no wrongful trading that happened. Yeah. So there was nothing illegal done or I would have been struck off the record. It was just um, a bad situation that didn't end well, but through no fault of wrongful trading or anything illegal. So um, I just want to make that clear. But I knew I had to find somebody to buy the business. Anyway, I found a company recovery Specialists. They were willing to buy the business. They were absolute sharks. Um, They promised me they were gonna take it. They were gonna take all of the debt. They were gonna take all of the staff. They were gonna take all of the contracts. Um, I wasn't gonna take a lot for the business. Um, So that was the caveat for the position that it was in. I wasn't gonna get millions and millions like I expected to and then basically on contract signing day when they knew that I only, I'd run out of time they dragged me right out to like two or three days before Christmas yeah where um, and then they said we're not going to buy actually and I was like wow you know and then they said what we will do though to help you out is we'll take the people we'll take the brand we'll take the assets we'll take this but you're going to shut down the company and you're going to take the debt on yeah that you've already got because they were originally going to take it all um and so they basically they played me and um and i had to I, 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 what came out of it that was good was that I got all of my staff kept in a job. I had 100 people, that was my number one priority. My second priority was to get the customers and all the contracts and warranties taken care of. They signed that and took responsibility for that, but I had to shut the company down, and that meant liquidating, and most of it was owed to suppliers, which was really, really, really tough. Um, it was horrendous. I didn't want it to happen to them. But as I said to them after, you were back in a business that was growing extremely quickly. If you couldn't afford to lose the money, you shouldn't have overleveraged the credit that you gave us. Um, and you should have that credit insured as a supplier. And um, that's how the process works. I've not done anything um, wrong here and I haven't taken the money out. Um, it was a risky business back in a fast-growing business. And unfortunately, it hasn't worked out. But I've created a new company with these guys and they're going to trade with you and they're going to keep the sales and you're going to be able to build your profits back with them um, and so effectively, that's what happened. And then at 30 years of age, January 2020, I found myself starting again. After eight years, I'd built a national empire, giving it my blood, sweat and tears. I'd won The Apprentice. I'd done all this great stuff in my 20s. And then the universe taught me a lesson. And I don't know if I'd got complacent. I don't know if I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I wasn't appreciating the gifts that I was given. And um, I believe the universe said, you need a wake up call, cool, Joe. And uh, we going to take everything from you and you're going to learn the hard way and i think they stripped everything that i had and um, they wanted to teach me they wanted to prepare me for what's to come you know and that's what i tell myself to make it feel okay about the situation but it's if we can do this to you at 30 and you can survive it and you can come through this and you can bounce back you will be able to go on to be a billionaire because we're going to put you through hell now and um and that's really what happened i i i I passed over the business i sold part of it so i went with the narrative for a period of time that i sold it yes i voluntarily liquidated it all of the papers said i went bust when they picked it up um they didn't give a clear definition of what really happened kind of did kind of didn't um But, um, yeah, it was very difficult. You know, I'm a pride guy. I'd done so well up until this point. And one of the biggest things was all the people that wanted to see me fail got the satisfaction for a period of time, because I'm obviously now back in the game big time. And in the last two years, um, I've bounced back to a level that I didn't even know I was possible to be able to do. And, um, and um, so for a period of time I satisfied them I'm sure they're not laughing anymore um, but it was just horrible I didn't want to help I didn't want to hurt people I didn't want people to lose money you nobody starts a business to screw people over or at least I don't anyway that's not my intention um, I wanted to be a success I wanted to sell that business for millions and millions and millions of pounds that was my intention and it didn't happen and out of your biggest, um, if you're if you, what I see is positive in life is as a real entrepreneur, out of your problems can become great solutions for other people. So when I um, started again, I said, Well, what happened to me? Well, you know, you were 22 years of age, you started a plumbing business, you didn't do any business training, you knew nothing about business. By the time you were 29, you'd built the largest independent boiling station business in the UK. No one has done that in construction at that pace at that level. So you can't be all that bad. But if you'd have done this before, or had the right training or mentors, maybe you'd been more alive to what could go wrong. Yeah, And so I then started a business called the Trade Mastermind, which teaches tradesmen to become businessmen. And you know, I've now trained thousands of trade businesses in the last two years. I've helped businesses build and sell in the same period as me building my business. And they've benefited from my pain. So I've given back to the industry to educate them on what can go wrong. Because success is easy. Yeah, but let me tell you, when it goes wrong, that's when you need to be prepared. I lost the national business. I know what happens when the business goes down. I know how to protect myself. I know how to protect others. I know what to do legally. I know the things to look out for. I know the danger signs and the warnings. So I am so well educated now about what can go wrong that it helps me to become more robust as I move forward with future ventures um, to ensure that they go right.
0: There's um, a quote that always rings in my ear, and it goes like this. Adversity doesn't build character, it reveals it. Yeah. And I think about that, that, that quote quite a lot. And yes, I used to good. see it on the wall at the first sales company I ever joined when I was like 19 years of age. And one of the guys I used to sit next to, me, he used to say it every day. And I used to think, "Why is what's going on about this? But as I've grown older, mm-hmm. now I'm 37 years of age, it it means so much more to me than it kind of did back then, probably because of the experiences and stuff. So my, my, my question was going to be if you were going to wrap, kind of condense mm-hmm. condense it into a few few words or a few statements. That that quote of um, adversity doesn't build character reveals it in yeah. that moment. That adverse situation that you're in, forget about all the other people around you. What did you learn about yourself when you were going through? The adversity.
1: It's okay to go to rock bottom, but it's not okay to stay there. Um, And rock bottom's a blessing in disguise because it reminds you um, where you don't want to be. And um, that I can bounce back. You know, my biggest fear in business was going bust, as many business owners is. And, you know, that fear of business, going bust, holds so many people back. I've lost everything at 30 years of age. Okay, and I had to start again. I was in the public eye. My reputation got absolutely trashed. Got fucking dragged through the streets and um, I bounced back. So I'm way stronger than I thought I was. I'm way better than I thought I was. And I was, in the wrong, I was in the wrong opportunity vehicle. I was in the wrong business. I shouldn't have taken that business national. It was too big for the product and the profit that comes with that sector. And I tell all of the businesses that I train now, do not take it national, take it to a size, make it profitable, cash flow it, and then if you want to build wealth, go into property. You'll not become a multi-millionaire building a boiler installation business. And you sort of do it in 45 years like Charlie Mullins, but Charlie Mullins is literally a unicorn in construction. Look at Carillion and all those businesses in construction that have gone bust over the years. It's a difficult market, very competitive, low margin, and also lots of moving parts that can go wrong. The business, when I went into the training business, I couldn't believe it. It was so easy. Yeah, I used to run a field team of salespeople, a field team of engineers, a field team of aftercare, plus an office. It's like four businesses in one. Now all I do is run a people in an office. It's like the most easiest thing on the planet for me. And the margins are so far greater than what they are running a construction business I look at people that are in the tech world. If I The energy to build a national construction business took my heart and soul, it took my life, it took everything from me to take that company to the size that I did. I sacrificed everything. And if I'd have done that in tech, I'd be sat here worth a billion now, I reckon, because it was the wrong opportunity vehicle, but the work ethic and the size of that business was huge. And um, it was wrong place, wrong time. And um, I'm I'm here to tell the tale, so.
0: Yeah. So uh, there's all, almost the two extremes, like winning the pinnacle of The Apprentice, being Lord Adam Sugar's business partner, having all the celebrities, the glitz gla- glamour around you, running this very successful business, and then it kind of falling over. But then also your, your own personality, personality on top of that, that creates a bit of a field day almost for, for the media. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you... Love-hate relationship with the media. What's your relationship with the broadsheets, tabloids, mm-hmm. and the general media out there?
1: You have to take them for what they are. They want to report on good stories. So you can't blame them. I can't blame them for trashing me because I, 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 I appreciated them for celebrating me. So they celebrated me when I had won The Apprentice and they'd supported me for years and years and years. Well, of course, when stuff goes wrong, they're going to trash me. But they've since celebrated me again. So as long as you feed them with the right story, you know, Donald Trump loves being in the media. Him being arrested recently will be, he'll be having a field day. If you know Donald Trump, he loves any piece of press he can get. You know, he called the paparazzi on himself. That's a Kanye West song, a lyric in a Kanye West song. Donald Trump, you've seen American Dream on Netflix
0: no watch it it's a yeah. four
1: part documentary phenomenal it shows you how he put every element of his life through the 70s and 80s and 90s in the press his breakups with his partners his wife his affairs his... he was ringing the paparazzi on himself on the stories you know because he knows attention wins attention wins the day yeah and you have to stay relevant and that doesn't mean you can be the golden boy all the time you can't stay relevant as the golden boy the media report on negative in most cases so you have to respect them for what they are and they're not going to blow smoke up your ass forever and keep saying that you're this champion especially if you're not a continued champion they had something valid to report on I fucking hated them for it don't get me wrong at the time but I understand why they did it and um, that's the business that they're in and you know I hold my hands up I got it wrong and I messed up so it's, they, they, they got me good and, um, but what it did was give me the fire to bounce back and I'm going to just tell you one thing, which was, and I owe this to Lord Sugar, he got me out of the head. He got me, he got me up, yeah, and got me going again. And do you know why I did? Because um, he retweeted one of the articles saying, you can't win them all. He retweeted the article that said a former apprentice winner goes bust. He retweeted the I was in bed, depressed. Didn't want to get up for a couple of days. And um, I'd seen this article. I see him retweet it. And it said, "It said you can't win them all. And now this guy thinks he can teach businesses how to do business. And I, and I rose out of bed like an eagle from the, like a phoenix from the flames. And I was like, right, I'm going to fucking show you. And um, Lord Sugar, if you're listening, thank you very much for that because you literally gave me the fire to prove you wrong. And that sometimes is what you need. Um, you can take anger, you can take, um 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 being upset you could take any emotion and channel it it's all energy channel it into something positive and it lit a fire inside me and he helped me again I don't know if he did it on purpose maybe he is smart maybe he really did want me to get up or maybe he wanted to kick me when i was down because i'd bought him out and i'd said some things about him in the past maybe on podcasts or news or whatever and um, he wanted to show me but i retweeted him two years later and i said listen thanks very much for that tweet i went and found it on the exact same day i said last month we just did two hundred and fifty thousand pounds i've built a 3 million pound business in the last um year and a half and um, you know thank you very much I'm back in the game now I'm making money again and my life's um, and I'm helping lots of people maybe a bit of an arrogant tweet I don't know but I kind of just wanted to show him to see it to say you know I've, I've probably grown a faster startup than any of the apprentice winners have on my second time round and it was all thanks to you
0: um, I've had a few really good people on my podcast recently from the business world yeah. I've had a guy called Dean Forbes if yeah. you don't know him look him up um, he's exited four companies, um, and he's only 44. Nice. And the last one was last uh, a year ago for a billion euro. Um, he was going to become a f- professional footballer. He failed to actually qualify. It was at Crystal Palace, and his two mates, Rio Ferdinand and Kieran Richardson, went off to become these elite premiership footballers who played for England, and he, he didn't. But he found himself in the business world. Then I interviewed a guy called Cole Hartley, you yeah. probably know him. Yeah, he, he lives looked, just up the road from me. And then also Charlie Mullins. Yeah. And even though they're from different sectors of business, they talk about the same thing, which is culture. Yeah. You've got a business now which is turned over millions mm-hmm. and millions of pounds. You had a former business that was turning over millions and millions of pounds. And what comes with that is a team. Mm-hmm. Culture, how much of a big part does culture, that winning culture play in your empire?
1: Um, I think it's fundamental and I think it comes from the top. I think the CEO has to build that culture, and our culture is to be better than you were yesterday. And everybody that shows up to our building needs to know that today they need to be better than they were yesterday. We're looking for continuous, ongoing improvement. That's how you scale, by finding every um, problem and fixing it with a solution. Um, um, uh, uh, Fixing every bottleneck, getting into the detail. And we push hard and we push fast. And, and, yeah, I, 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 it, plays, it plays a massive, massive part. It plays a massive, massive part. Culture, for me, is important. Um, what's important is people. And culture works when you've got the right people. I think the culture that I've just described um, turns a lot of people off. And a lot of people can't keep up with that culture. They don't want to come in and be better than they were yesterday. They want to come in and be who they were yesterday because their business isn't, your business isn't their business and they want to come and do the job and you're trying to push them every day to be great. um, But not everybody wants to be great, you know? And that's something that I've come to learn is don't keep preaching to people that don't want to change because not everybody does and you won't bring everybody up, okay? So stop trying, Every, well, as soon as I started to become successful, I spent years and years and years trying to preach to ev- And I still do it now. Um, but, you know, I'm trying to preach to everyone. You can be better. You can be great. You can do this. this everything's at the end of hard work, blah, 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 blah. But some people don't want that. And um, so having the right people to match the culture is absolutely fundamental. The culture falls on deaf ears.
0: Would you say, Joseph, you're a salesperson?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: There's another winner, Mark Wright. Mm-hmm who won the apprentice yeah who's a better salesperson me. you or what right <laughs> you don't even need to finish the
1: question <laughs> me <laughs> I, I, Mark was speaking at one of my events recently and unfortunately I was ill and I had to have somebody stand in for me and I haven't seen him for a few years because I used to spend quite a lot of time with Mark after The Apprentice. We were both dating the same sisters. He was dating um, uh, uh, Leah Totten, who was a previous winner, and I was dating Jodie, which was her sister. So um, uh, we both had two beautiful girlfriends and we used to spend time together and go for the dinner together and so on. And then after I kind of broke with Lord Sugar, we kind of kind of just um, went um, our separate ways but when he sold his business I reached out to him and I said congratulations Mark you really deserve that I'm really really pleased for you you know well done you 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 made it you know it's the ultimate dream for you you went through it you came out you've got some millions in the bank and you've exited so congratulations and he he messaged me back so we started talking again Um, but you know and if, if you if you don't say that you're number one then you're not a great salesman.
0: Do you think Tom Skinner is a good salesperson?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 he is. Yeah.
0: And if you he's you, a
1: natural salesperson, but I'd beat him as well. And I'm sure he'd say he'd beat me. I mean, I've done millions and millions of pounds in direct sales. I don't think he has, um, you know, so <laughs> I would go by the numbers, baby. Give me the results. Mark's done millions of pounds in sales as well, but Mark's done it on contracts. So he does recurring revenue contracts. I do direct sales, or I've done direct sales. So I'd say I've sold millions more pounds worth of product than he has. Um, so let's go for it, Mark, baby. I said to him, I've, I've tweeted a few times, we need a winners versus winners um, Super Apprentice Series. Put me against the winners. I, don't want, I want to go against the top guys. You know, I want, to get, I want a competition. I want to go against all the other winners. I want to smoke all of those other winners.
0: I see uh, He done a boxing match. You ever fancy having a boxing Who's match that? with him? Well both actually, Tom yeah. Skinner and Tom. Well Mark Tom's Wright.
1: a unit, so I don't know how big he is, so I'm not sure I want to box the guy. Mark's um Mark's probably um more my size. Well he's bigger than me, but would I d I d I'd I'd I don't know. I've, I've I've
0: kinda
1: I've kinda wanted to get into it, but I've never really have. I'm just too busy to dedicate the time and I wouldn't want to embarrass myself. You know, boxing's tough. And you got to train. You can't play at boxing. The professionals say it. I don't want to do a white collar just for the sake of it. You can't play at boxing. You've got to train. And I'm very, very busy. And I don't get, I wouldn't be able to put in the time. And I wouldn't want to get my ass kicked. It would be embarrassing. <laughs> 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 but if I, if there was, if I build my, I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm really highting YouTube and content more now. If I build my brand big enough and the opportunity comes and you get a couple of million quid for um, getting in and um, beating someone up, then yeah, pay me and I'll do it.
0: I like your style. Um, Pivoting the conversation slightly. School. Yeah. The education uh, education system. Do you think school is a waste of time?
1: School serves a purpose up until a point that it no longer serves the purpose. And you do have to have basic education. You know you don't want to be in a position where you can't read or write or you can't do basic maths because it it will hold you back i mean there are things that hold me back now i'm terrible at it i'm really bad with computers and it gets in the way all of the time but i'm a good um i am a good delegator so i don't have to have i don't have to do it myself but luckily i've got you know the finances to be able to pay people to do these jobs um and you don't have to do them um but you've got to be a good delegator but it serves a purpose, but you know the reason that I wanted out of school, and I and I've got myself expelled. It wasn't by accident. I was knew what I was doing every day when I was coming in, causing a problem. I wanted them to throw me out. It was absolutely my end goal, and I got it um, because I don't want to go to art and being told that I can't draw when I know I can't draw. There's no point telling me I'm a failed artist if I know I can't draw. Does that make sense? Mm. You know, if I can't, if I go to science and. Um, I'm not interested in learning it and I fail your test. That's because I don't want to do science. It's not because I'm an idiot. It's because I don't want to do it. If I wanted to do it, then I would do it, but I don't want to do it, so stop making me do it. And so I believe at 14, you should be able to exit. And you should be able to go to work. And um, you know none of this staying to 18 um, bullshit. It was to stay in, in, in th- to, by 18, I was already a qualified plumber. I was making 40 grand a year, you know, um, probably more than most teachers, more than what they make now. Um, and um, when I went to work at 14, at 15, I went and worked with a plumbing company for free, for a year while I should have been in year 11. And I was a dream um, employee. I went every day, I never missed about, didn't disrespect the boss, didn't answer, back whereas a couple of months before, you know, a teacher, I was swear at the I was horrendous. You know, I I hate to look back and see who I was because I was very disrespectful, very disruptive. Um, you know, I'm not proud of that teenage person that I was and I would never want my son to act how I acted in school um, not a chance you know I, I, I don't um, think it was the right way or it was appropriate all, all being said I'm going to put my son into private school he's going to private nursery and he's going all the way up through private because the right and private is not just about the education it's about the network it's about how they mold you um, you know the individual that you become communication skills and confidence and manners and Respect and all of that type of stuff that you know. For many years, I didn't really have, um, so I want him to go through the right education. And um, yeah, it, yeah. So you know, I, I think that um, I think that the education system serves a purpose up until a point. If you want to be a doctor, go to university. If you don't want to be um, a doctor, don't go to university. You know, there's no point going to university to do. Um, Psychology, and then you don't end up pursuing the career and you go and work in a call center and you get into all of that debt. You know, that's not what it's about. Now, there are some high income skills out there in the marketplace that currently are really in demand. Yeah. Facebook ads, sales, videography, shorts, logo design, funnel building, all of the new social marketing stuff. I launched the Valente University that I was telling you about previously because there's got to be a way for alternative education that um, you can learn skills that are in demand um, quickly without having to go through the system. People say oh, um, you know, alternative forms of training in most cases are a scam. No, university is a scam. You're getting 50 grand debt to go and learn how to do a 30 grand a year job. That's the biggest scam on the planet.
0: <laughs> um, talk about school. Yeah. When I was younger, I literally had this said to me: "Because you're no, cause you've been no good at school, yeah. we're not going to offer you sixth form." Yeah. It's just they said it was pointless, and because your grades are so well not so good, or you're not, you've not been very good at school. Mm-hmm. I always attended. I never bunked off, yeah. but I was literally ADHD, dyslexic. I yeah. just couldn't concentrate. Yeah. They said, you basically won't really amount to nothing. Yeah. And I'm 37, so that was some time ago, but I'm still hearing that same sort of narrative and opinion even yeah. today, yeah. which I find very criminal. What, what's the advice you would give younger people if a school teacher headmaster, mm-hmm. said to them, you will never amount to nothing because you're no good at school?
1: Don't let someone else's opinion of you become your reality.
0: Powerful. Cool. That's it. Where where are we going to see you over the next few years, mate? Because I know you're very driven, got a lot of energy. You clearly know what you want out of life. You're now obviously into this newer chapter of your life or your new business. A little bit more about the business, the goals, the aspirations, and what do you want to do personally? Like How much money? What sort of stuff do you want? Where are you going to travel?
1: So um, after losing Impra, in two and a half years, I built a six million pound training business in the construction space called the Trade Mastermind. And uh, we've got around 2,000 customers. I've helped two businesses scale, exit and sell in that period of time. Um, And um, we are dominating the training sector in construction. We've got no competitors, we're number one and we're scaling rapidly and I'm doing great things in that business. So I'm gonna continue to work in the construction sector. That business will evolve into the trade group, which become a one-stop shop for construction businesses. We've launched Trade Recruit, a recruitment company for um, the construction. We've got Trade Finance, we've got Trade Accounts, we've got Trade Social. So all of these businesses we teach to scale need all of these additional services to support the business growth. So really excited about that. We want to take that business to a very, very big exit. Um, And we don't know whether we're going to sell it. We don't know whether we're going to list it on um, something like AIM, the alternative investment market, or maybe take it public, um, or just keep it and cash flow it for years and years and years and use that money to fund other projects. I've recently launched the Valento University because the construction industry is limited in size. Again, opportunity vehicle. I want to be a billionaire. I won't do that. Serving the construction market with just training and services. So I need to go for a much bigger market. If you can um, sell a one pound service to a billion people, you got a billion pound, right? So I need to go to a billion pound audience. So I looked at what Andrew Tate had been doing with the Hustlers University. He's made a huge impact, very influential on lots of young men and um, has taught them some fantastic stuff um, and um, you know, has made a massive impact. Whether you like him or not, um you know that's um you know you're everybody's allowed their own opinion but i think some of the things that he's been that he's done are absolutely fantastic and um um, the messages that he preaches in a lot of cases are absolutely spot on and i think his hustlers university it's so successful and been so successful you know two hundred fifty thousand subscribers at 50 pound a month is 2.8 million pounds a month in recurring revenue every single month and um And um, it's helping a lot of people, it's making a lot of money, and it's a great business and a great opportunity. So I thought, right, well, um, I like a lot of the stuff that he preaches. I want to give back and help young guys. I didn't have a dad. I didn't have a mentor. I've done everything by myself. When I go home, there ain't no one at home waiting for me to come and make everything right. I've become a man by myself and um, that means at times I've gone way off the path and been around the wrong people and have looked for mentorship from the wrong people the wrong circles and if I'd had positive mentors very early on I'd probably be 100 times the man that I am today. But um, so I wanted to create a product that served a younger, much broader audience. So from 12 to 30 years of age, the Valente University targets mostly male and there is a billion, 1.5 billion um, people in that demographic. And so it's a low-ticket model. It will scale to that audience. And the Valente brand is something that, um, I want to pursue. I want to go into the luxury goods market as my um, next big opportunity. Bernard Arnault, don't know if you know who that guy is, but he's the current richest man in the world, goes between him and Elon Musk. He owns Louis Vuitton, Dior, all of the top luxury brands out there in the market. LVMH Group. Yeah, that's it, right, yeah. So him, I mean, when well, he's in luxury goods market, why is he making so much money? Because his costs are low and his margins are high. You know, manufacturing costs very low, um uh selling it for high ticket high margin great business and obviously you know he's attracting a you people think that that high-end stuff is what the rich people buy it isn't okay and that's why he's got mass market so i want to move into the valente um luxury goods market one of the products that i'm going to sell and make first is the valente belt a bit like a Hermes belt and um i'm going to charge a thousand pounds for that belt And I'm going to sell that belt as a minimum of a thousand pounds. And I've said that to a few people. They're like, you can't charge a thousand pounds for a belt. No one's going to pay you a thousand pounds for a belt. I'm like, watch me. Everybody said my whole life, I'm not going to be able to do it. So that's the first point. Um, Then I'm going to make some more luxury products around the Valente range. And I really want to do an alcohol brand. Okay, I really want to do an alcohol brand. Look at um, Connor and... Uh, uh, the Rock and all of these guys, you know, they've put they've put built their brands and they've associated it to a great alcohol brand, and they just exits are phenomenal. Um, so you've got to look for markets that are scalable. And um, and um, you know that a mass market appeal. I want to be a billionaire. Um, I've made that very clear um, over a lot of the stuff that I've put out. And I want to be a billionaire because I fucking love money. And I want to be um, rich, but I also want to help people. I'm motivated by helping people. Money is actually secondary to what I do. I'm passionate about changing the world. I want to leave a legacy. I want to make my son proud of me. I never ever want to let him down. I never want him to think about um, uh, me as I thought. About my dad. I want to leave an empire for him um, and his sons and their sons to continue the family name for many, many years to come. What I do now will define the future of the Valente bloodline. And um, I'm on a mission to make sure that, you know, our name becomes up there with, you know, the Rothschilds and, you know, I want to be in, I want to create an institution and with my bloodline and I'm the start my son's going to be a hundred times the man that I am but I'm gonna you know like Donald Trump's dad you know gave him an empire and then Donald Trump's taking it to the next level I'm not going to be the Donald Trump because I don't have enough time to get to um that bit but I'm going to be the dad that makes his son I don't say I make my son my son like Donald Trump I'm going to make my son my son because my son is going to understand that he is his own man but I'm going to give him the opportunity and um yeah, I like yachts, I like, I like super yachts. One thing that I'm super passionate about is super yachts. I'm not, I, I, I'm, I like cars, not overly bothered about cars, like nice houses, like nice apartments, like nice places, but the super yacht is the one thing that I want. I want a, I want a 500 million pound super yacht and I want to live on that yacht.
0: <laughs> That's a good vision. Yeah, I cool. want to
1: live on that yacht and I want to help many, many people
0: this is my last question to wrap up the podcast when I started my first business when I was younger I come up with a mantra yeah and the mantra goes like this be happy never content Mm -hmm. now I've got my own interpretation of what that means I'm going to ask Joseph Valente what does be happy never content mean to you
1: great question and um, it's actually made me think that's probably my problem because I'm I'm not happy because I'm not content but maybe I need to focus on the happiness, but actually don't attach contentness to happiness, um, and divide the two. So maybe you just give me something great to think about. Being happy is about joying and uh, is about enjoying what you're doing, about being grateful for where you are. Not being content is about don't be satisfied um, for where you are. And I think understanding the two, um, you know, will actually make me. Um, more motivated moving forward so thank you very much for yeah that. top man you've ended
0: well top man <laughs> thank you very much for your time really enjoyed the conversation and if everyone's uh, enjoyed this comment share subscribe all that good stuff and remember to be happy never content Thank you very much Joseph thanks champ thank you